Well, if you'll take your Bibles, please, and join me in John chapter 19. For those who have been with us through the last four and a half years through our study in John, surely you are now convinced of God's leading throughout this book. Several times now we have landed on scriptures which coincide with the calendar. And I am not a planner. Man, that's my wife's area. I may wake up and whatever is happening right now, that's what I'm doing. I don't look to the future. So all of this is of the Lord is what I'm saying. I couldn't have planned to land here, but it does fit nicely with us giving special emphasis today on the resurrection of Christ. And um, I bring this up because I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is real. God doesn't dwell His people. And God guides and He directs. And that's what we've seen throughout this study. And you ought to be in a church where the Holy Spirit is guiding. Amen? Amen. And uh, I just want you convinced that you're in the right place. Amen. All right. Well, last week we considered verses 28 through 30. And we saw that just before Jesus gave up the ghost, He cried out, It is finished. He came to do the will of God. He has now fulfilled His Father's will for His life. Some 4,000 years before this, God had foretold that the promised seed was going to arrive. And now that He has, it's all come to pass. Sin has now been judged on the cross. God placed upon His only begotten Son the iniquity of us all. God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What an amazing transaction has taken place. God who knew no sin imputed our sin upon Jesus Christ that we might have Christ's righteousness imputed on us. What an amazing transaction. It's free to anybody who would call upon the Lord for salvation. His life for mine, how could it be? That He should die. God's Son would die to save a wretch like me. What love divine. He gave His life for mine. It's finished. There's nothing you can add to it. There's nothing we can take away from it. So stop trying to work your way to impress God. It's finished. You cannot work yourself to salvation. It's finished. Stop living in the sins of your past and think that somehow you can't be saved. It's finished. All the sins of mankind have been placed upon Him. God's wrath has been satisfied in Christ. Hallelujah. You can be forgiven. Just place your faith and trust in Christ and all your sins can be washed away. Just go to Him. Isaiah 45, 22 says, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Now that Christ has died, let's look at how this unfolds in John chapter 19 beginning in verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first 
and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the Scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again another Scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. And they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, and as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. It is now sometime after three o'clock in the afternoon, probably close to four. In Israel, the evening marked the beginning of a new day. And we see in verse 31 that because it's a high Sabbath day, being Passover time, the Jews didn't want the bodies to remain on the cross as they would start a new day. And during this week, the religious Jews were careful to not be defiled in their outward show of piety. Inwardly, their hearts were wicked. They were hard-hearted. But outwardly, they wanted to appear righteous. So even though they had just condemned an innocent man to die, and they were all too happy to see Jesus on the cross, they are still trying to appear righteous and undefiled by a quasi-keeping of the law. Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23 say, And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree... His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God, that the land may not be defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. And so in an attempt to appear righteous, like they are following God's word, they want to have the bodies removed from off the cross, and so they have to ask Pilate to have their legs broken so that they'll hurry up and die. The Romans wouldn't take a body down from the cross unless they knew he was dead. Almost without fail. There have been some recorded exceptions. But that was their general rule. And so in order to hasten death, they would take a club and they would pulverize the knee area and they would break the legs of those on the cross. And when they would do that, it would be so excruciating, there was no way at this point that those hanging on a cross could raise up to try to take a breath, and they would die of suffocation, usually within minutes at this point. And we see in verse 32 that this is what they did. They break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with Him. But we see in verse 33, when they came to Jesus, they saw that He was dead already. They break not His legs. And verse 36 tells us the legs were not broken because Scripture needed to be fulfilled. You know, God keeps every bit of His Word. 
That's a comfort to know in this day and age, isn't it? The Scriptures foretold, A bone of him shall not be broken. You can find that in Psalm 34.20. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. And if you remember the instructions of the Passover lamb given in the Old Testament, when they would observe God delivering them out of uh, Egypt, they were given the command that they shall leave none of it until morning, nor break any bone of it. Their Passover lamb that they would sacrifice, they weren't to break any of its bones. And so we see Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of God's Word. And knowing that not a bone of Him was broken, it should have alerted these religious Jews to the fact that this man that is giving his life is the precious Lamb of God. The Bible does tell us in 1 Corinthians 5-7, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now even though these soldiers had seen that Jesus was dead already, we find that one of them, in verse 34, takes a spear and pierces Jesus' side. There's some debate as to whether or not this man did so because he hated Jesus or had some disdain for Him. Others are of the opinion that he's just making sure he's dead. Because like I said, they're not going to take a body down until he has died. And we find that when he pierces Jesus' side, forthwith came there out, Blood and water. So I did my best to try to understand this medically. Disclaimer, I am not a doctor. Amen. And what I'm about to tell you is what I read. But what I read was this. Once a heart stops pumping blood, the blood will begin to pool within the body. And as the blood pools, the heavier red blood cells separate from the plasma, which is 90 to 95% water. Therefore, when Jesus' side was pierced, the Bible doesn't say that water and blood came out, but what does it say? Blood and water came out. I think it's important that we find it in that order. Because at this point, the blood had already begun to pool, and the sediment of that heavier red blood cell had now settled. This tells us that he's probably been dead for about an hour. That's why I say we're probably about 4 o'clock around this time. And so when they pierce his side, the red color comes out first, and then the water. Why is this important for us to know? Why is this in here? And why does John bring special attention to the fact that there was a witness to this in verse 35? Because he says, "...and he that saw it bear record, and his record is true." And he knoweth that he saith true. Why? That ye might believe. What is it that we must believe? What is it that they're getting at here? This is meant to convince the reader that Jesus was thoroughly dead. And this is important in the day in which we live because there are so-called scholars who will tell you that all Jesus did was pass out. And somehow, he miraculously got enough strength to come out of the grave. And they'll try to convince you of these things. But this is here to let you know and to believe that Jesus died. Why is that so necessary for us? Because without death, we have no resurrection. This medical fact is needed in order that you might believe Jesus died. And in verse 37, we see that this is also a fulfillment of Scripture. They shall look on him whom they pierced. Now, the Roman soldiers would have had no idea of Zechariah 12.10. 
right? They wouldn't have known that the Bible prophesied and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. But yet we find God is still in complete control. And these men are doing exactly what needs to be done in order that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. And now with Jesus being verifiably dead, we read of His burial in verses 38 through 42. And we see in verse 38, there's Joseph of Arimathea. He believed in Jesus. He had secretly been a follower of Jesus, but out of fear of the Jews, he never came public. But we find here, he goes to Pilate and he asks if he can take the body of Jesus. Joseph was a rich man. He was a member of the council. He was a man of influence, a man of power. In Luke, he is called a good and a just man. We are told in Luke 23, 51 that he never consented to the council's decision to put Jesus to death. He was against it. Joseph, he had the clout politically to be the one who could go into Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. And then in verse 39, we see another man named Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He's called a ruler of the Jews. He had also been fearful to openly profess Christ. You'll remember that he's the one that came to Jesus in John chapter 3 by night. And Jesus looked at him and said, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I just find it interesting here at this point that the 11 remaining disciples are gone. Ten had left and never came back. John came back, but now he's taking care of Mary. He's already departed. And who do we find left taking care of the body of Jesus? It's these two disciples that were secretly a follower of Jesus. I I just find this remarkable that after three and a half years of following the Lord and seeing His miracles and all that He did and all that He taught and He preached, that those men have fled. And now we find these two. You know, I may be getting ahead of myself just a little bit here, but don't give up on people. Don't give up on... Some of you in here, maybe you haven't been around God in a long time. Maybe it's been a secret thing. I don't give up on people. Amen? They might be the next Joseph or Nicodemus that steps up out of the shadows and says, Here am I, Lord. Well, that's just a little side note, and like I said, I'm getting ahead of myself there. But it's Joseph and Nicodemus who prepared Jesus' body for burial by anointing his body with a mixture of myrrh and aloes. And they wrap his body in linen. This is such an interesting picture here if you consider the Old Testament tabernacle. The Old Testament tabernacle was a picture of God's presence among man. It was surrounded by a wall of linen. Isn't that interesting? Jesus came to tabernacle among men. He wrapped Himself in flesh. And now we see the presence of God in flesh upon this earth is now wrapped in linen. There's a message there, but I'll save it for another time. And then they laid Jesus in a new sepulcher wherein no man had ever been buried. And we learn in Matthew's account that this tomb was owned by Joseph. As I said, Joseph was a rich man. He had the money to own this thing. Isaiah 53.9 says, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Now Jesus is buried. Let's suppose that's the end of the account for just a moment. Jesus has lived... He's died, now He's buried. What if it all ended in chapter 19? Well, the Apostle Paul answers that in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, where he wrote, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. 
Well, that sounds like an odd thing to write when you just read it alone. But when you take it in context, it makes sense. This is what he wrote just before that. Now, if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised." And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life we only have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. What is he saying here? If Christ didn't rise again, then we've all been duped into believing the greatest lie that's ever been told. What a bunch of morons to meet this morning. Amen. Why are we here? If Christ didn't rise, why are we giving money? If Christ didn't rise, why are we singing songs? Why are you taking time out of your day to be here? You know what Paul said here? Look, if He didn't rise, this is all in vain. It's all empty. It means nothing. And yet there are churches all around this world this morning who are meeting with the express purpose of focusing on His resurrection. If Christ didn't rise, this message is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We are still in our sins. We are of all men most miserable. How foolish to put your hope in a man that is still in the grave. And it looks hopeless here at the end of chapter 19. His disciples had forsaken Him earlier when He was arrested. Jesus was then scourged beyond recognition. He was mocked as a king. They put a, a purple robe on Him. They put a crown of thorns into His head. They gave Him a reed in His hand as a scepter and they bowed the knee before Him and said, Hail, King of the Jews! Pilate took Him out to stand before the crowd and the crowd cries out, Crucify Him! We have no king but Caesar! Jesus was led up to Golgotha bearing His cross, and there they nailed Him to that old rugged cross. And they raised Him up to die with a sign over His head that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. His followers are in hiding now. They're in mourning. We'll see this in the next chapter. They're behind locked doors. And the only ones there now to care for Jesus were Joseph and Nicodemus these disciples that were only serving Jesus in, in private. And now it looks like all hope is lost. The man they had followed for three and a half years and believed to be the Messiah who was going to restore Israel to their former glory, he is now dead and he is in the grave. But aren't you glad it doesn't end in chapter 19? Amen. Just give it three days, amen? Just give it a little bit of time here and the world is going to be turned upside down by the greatest shock to mankind there's ever been. They had sealed the tomb. They had put a watch there. They had made every attempt to secure it and to make sure nobody could steal His body. But at the grave, something is happening. 
As death screams, I've lost my hold. The angels rise in anticipation, for the Son is coming home. And there He comes. And He's got the blood that He shed on Calvary. And the Father said, well done, my Son. This is the last blood I'll ever need. There is another chapter. Somebody help me preach, amen. There is another chapter. Jesus did rise again as He said He would. We won't be able to study chapter 20 today, don't worry. But let me read to you a portion out of Matthew's account. In verses 1-6 through of Matthew 28, it says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and His raiment white as snow. And for fear of Him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen. As He said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. He did rise again. Our preaching is not in vain. Our faith is not in vain. We don't have to be in our sins. We can be saved from our sins. Amen? He was victorious. He conquered sin, death, and the grave, and the devil. We are not defeated. We are not cast down. We have hope in Christ because He did come out of the grave alive. And now He is seated at the right hand of God, forevermore exalted in heaven. Living He loved me. Dying He saved me. Buried He carried my sins far away. Rising He justified freely forever. And one day He's coming. Oh, glorious day. Life has come through death. Isn't that strange? This is the riddle that Samson put forth in his day. Samson goes to a dead lion that he killed and he shouldn't have been touching dead things. That's a whole other issue. And he reaches into the carcass of this dead lion and he pulls out honey. The bees had made a hive in there. And he gave this riddle and he said, Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. That's the riddle to the world. That's that's what the lost have to process before they can understand salvation. How is it that we get life from death? Well, that's the Christian experience. We who are dead in our trespasses and sins are made alive by the power of God through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. And we see this pictured for us in our text today. I want to give you a a few examples here. When the Roman soldiers pierced the side of Jesus, it says it came out blood and water. And in Jesus' blood and water, in death, we have two great pictures for us. Blood is our redemption. We must have the blood to be redeemed back to God. The blood of Christ is that which would wash away our sins. And the water that flowed forth is the water that gives us life to deal with our death. Through the Lord's death, He takes away our sins through His blood, and through His resurrection, He gives life through the water. Through His death came life. Two fountains were opened up that day, one of blood and one of water. Zechariah 13.1 says, In that day there shall be a fountain opened unto the house of David, 
and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. There was also the fountain of water opened up. Revelation 21.6, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. It opened up two fountains to meet all of our needs. A fountain for washing away our sins in His blood and a fountain of water of life. Psalm 36.9 says, For with thee there is the fountain of life. And listen, aren't you glad we can continue to go to these fountains for cleansing? We can confess our sins as we commit sin. We can have forgiveness and we can be cleansed. And we can receive more and more of the divine life of God by coming to Him as the fountain of the water of life to drink of Him. Praise the Lord for His redeeming, life-imparting death. For the blood and the water, out of death came life. But also this, Jesus' blood and water gave birth to a living church. Acts 20.28 says, The church has been purchased with His own blood. We're not a dead church this morning. Somebody say amen right there. We are a living church. We don't come here and just practice a dead religion. I think you know my viewpoint on that. Amen. We are alive in Christ. We are purchased with His blood. And in Ephesians 5.26, speaking of the church, Christ says He gave His life for it and that Christ will sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. That He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now get this, just as God put Adam to sleep and took from his side a rib from which He would make him a bride, so Christ, when He died... God made Christ a bride from the blood and the water that flowed forth from His side. Out of death came life. But there's more in this chapter. Notice verse 41 again. Now in the place where He was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid. Near to the place of death, we find that there was a garden. This place of the skull where men were put to death, there was a place that produced life. And what symbolism we find here. Man's life started in a garden, the Garden of Eden. And mankind died in that garden spiritually when they sinned against God and they would later die physically. And now we see Jesus is buried in a garden. And from the garden, man will be restored back to God as Jesus rises again from the dead. Out of the place of death came life. And for any who may be here today without Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But God wants you to receive life by believing in Christ. Because Christ gives life out of death, you too can have life through your death. You say, what does that mean? It means you have to be willing to die to yourself and admit that you cannot save yourself. But you have to confess that only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Romans 5.10 says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Out of death comes life. If you need Christ to save you, then call upon the Lord believing. 
and He will take you from death unto life. That's what the Bible says in John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth My word and believeth on Him that sent Me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. (laughs) That's exciting. Now, there's one more example I want you to get here. The application comes from these two scholars, if you will. Joseph and Nicodemus. They had only been a disciple of Christ secretly. Listen, now I know most people in here would raise a hand and say, yes, I've been born again. These were men that would, if we had every eye closed and every head bowed and we were to ask, they'd probably slip their hand up a little bit. But outside of here, they wouldn't have lived it. Are you with me? And that's most of the church today. Most of the church will admit in here, yes, I've been born again, but you go outside of here and you're one of these secret disciples. And so here they are. They had been secretly disciples of Christ, but now their lives are being changed. You may recall that while Jesus was on trial, the Jews would not enter into Pilate's judgment hall. This was a holy week and they were afraid if they would enter in, they would become defiled or unclean. And so you'll remember, Pilate comes out to them. But what do we find Joseph doing here in verse 38? He goes to Pilate. And if you read Mark's account, it says that Joseph went in boldly unto Pilate. And listen, both of these men, Joseph and Nicodemus, they're about to touch a dead man, which would have made them unclean. Why why is Joseph now willing to go in unto Pilate, a Gentile, risk becoming unclean? Why is Joseph and Nicodemus now willing to touch a dead body knowing that it would make them unclean? All their life they've been taught the oral tradition and all their life they've been taught the Word of God and and they knew that if they did this, it would make them defiled. And yet, what do we find them doing? The very thing that maybe just weeks, I don't know how long beforehand, they would have never done. And now that Jesus has died, and now that they have been convinced that He is the Savior, they are now willing to walk into the judgment hall of a Gentile and touch a dead body. Why? Because Christ fulfills the law. Amen. And they no longer have to worry about it. All the types, the shadows, the pictures, and all these things have been fulfilled in Christ. And just like the Roman centurion that could watch the death and say, truly this man is the Son of God, they could now look upon this man on the cross and say, whew, I should have been following Him all the time. I should have been open and with Him all the time. But they had only been disciples secretly. But now they must have recognized that Christ is the fulfillment. Now, listen, they are no longer ashamed to be identified with Christ. Get this now, on top of all that, their careers are now over. They have now openly identified themselves as followers of Christ, and that's not going to go well when you're on the religious council. They have ended their career. Get this, they understood the principle of Philippians 3, 7-9 through before it was ever penned down by the Apostle Paul. What does it say? But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. They're done with that stuff now. 
but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You see, they lost their life. Get this now. They lost their life, but they found a life they never really had experienced before. Through death came life. And now I would ask you, are you willing to die and identify with Christ and walk in newness of life? Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it what? More abundantly. John chapter 12, verses 25 and 26, it says, He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Have you learned to die to yourself? I'm not asking if you're in Christ. Have you learned to die to yourself? Or are you still living in the shadows? Perhaps you're saved, but you're still trying to live the Christian life in secret. It'll never work. It'll never be pleasing to God that way. Maybe you need to openly proclaim your identity with Christ's death. Then you need to die to self today and experience the abundant life that only comes through death. Through death comes life. Thank God for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who makes it possible for us to find life through His death and resurrection. I said last week I'd read the third verse in Christ alone. There in the ground His body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave He rose again. And as He stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am His and He is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. And then the last verse again, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from His hand till He returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Listen, if you need to do business with God today, won't you do so? Let's pray.